Hello and welcome back to another episode. I'm so excited to bring you this one. I feel like the guest today doesn't need an introduction, but I'm going to give her one anyway because, well, that's the format of the podcast. So today's guest is Sophie Kinsella. She is an international best-selling author. She has sold over 7 million copies of her books worldwide. She is a household name after finding fame with her hugely popular Shopaholic series back in 2000. Her novels have been translated into 30 languages and her novels were also made into a film which starred Isla Fisher as Becky Bloomwood and it was directed by PJ Hogan who made My Best Friend's Wedding. Last year she made her first foray into the YA world with Finding Audrey which was also chosen by Zoella in her WH Smith book club. Her new book, My Not-So-Perfect Life, which we talk about on this podcast, is about the way that social media makes us feel, the good and the bad. It's about the way we look at other people's Instagram feeds and often think that their lives are perfect and compare them to our own lives. So in this episode, we talk about our addiction to social media, Sophie's writing process, how to find and commit to new ideas, and the temptation of online comparison. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I absolutely loved recording this with Sophie um, and it was amazing to talk to an author who I've been reading since I was a teenager. So I hope you enjoy it and here it is. We're at Penguin Random House, we're in a little room and this is really nice, nice to meet you. Thank you for asking me, it's lovely to be here. Yeah, so lovely to have you on. So I wanted to start off by saying that Finding Audrey I love. Oh, thank you. I love that it was also selected in the Zoella that was um, book club. That was amazing, yeah. No, it's so, been really, the whole Finding Audrey thing has been very exciting, yeah. actually. Your new book, I haven't read it yet, but I have a ah. copy and I'm so excited. <laughs> but is it a similar sort of theme? It's it's different. It's not quite as dark as Finding Audrey, which is sort of does go into some, you know, quite mm-hmm. sad areas of, of sort of teenage life. And this is, I would say, a more upbeat book but also has some bits of darkness and, and a lot of reality the the heroine is older she's in her 20s and she's struggling and she's living a life which I think is you know reality for a lot of people struggling with you know the rental situation in London tiny tiny flat she hasn't even got any room for a wardrobe she keeps all her stuff in this hammock above her bed <laughs> and for me that's a real sort of symbol of you know she would love a wardrobe for that 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 would be a luxury for her and she's had a sort of patchy start a couple of internships and she's finally landed an actual job in london and for her living in london mm. has always been the dream and finally here she is and the reality, as we see when we meet her, is pretty grim. I mean, the mm. first few pages are her commute. And I know all about commuting. You know, I've done it from one end of London mm. to the other. And it's actually quite unpleasant and scary. And you can get into work in the worst mood. Oh, God. I mean, it, the, the trains come and you literally can't get on them because they're too full. It's incredibly <laughs> stressful. So, so this is her reality. She's at the bottom of the heap at work, all the rest of it. But when she posts on... Instagram and when she talks to her friends, messages them and and talks to her family on the phone, everything is glossy. Mm. Everything is wonderful. Everything is upbeat. And she's not trying to lie. She is just wanting to present the best possible version of what she has. And so she sort of borrows pictures. She'll find a great cafe. She'll take a picture of a cocktail. She can't afford that cocktail. Mm. I mean, cocktails, hello. No way. But she can post it and be a, just a bit economical. So so the, the version she's presenting is not 
really the reality. When she when she messages, her best friend's gone to live in New York. And so the, the pair of them are sort of living the dream and sending each other these relentlessly upbeat, oh, it's all so cool and we've been doing this and that. And, and it, again, it's not lying, but it's not saying, okay, the truth is, you know, one of my flatmates isn't interested in having a friendship mm-hmm. and the other is really weird and I'm all alone cooking my really depressing supper, which is all I can afford. None of that is gets mentioned. What happens to, to Katie, or you know, she's even reinvented her name, which is why I hesitate. So oh, she's called Katie. Right. But when she moved to London, she decided to call herself Cat. She's rebranded herself. Rebranded, <laughs> far cooler name. The fact that she actually keeps forgetting what she's called is just <laughs> one of her problems. Um, and the, and the, the other person that she fixates on is her boss. And so this is a story of a, a girl and her online life and mm. what she's projecting and the fibs that she's telling. But it's also about her comparing herself with other people. Mm. God, Best this is friend. all so <laughs> real life right now, well, isn't it? Well, <laughs> you know, it, kind of, I've always written what I see. Mm. When I see people shopping, I write about shopping. And when I see people with anxiety and when I see people, you know, workaholics. And she fixates on her boss, who is at the other end of the scale. She's in her 40s. She's called Demeter. She's super cool. She's the head of the department. And her clothes are amazing. Her house is amazing. And she's friends with everybody. She knows important people. She's out every night. She's on top of her game. She's won awards. And... Katie, Kat, looks at this woman and thinks, I want to be her. Could I ever be her? How do I get from where I am to where she is? Is this actually possible? And she's got the perfect life. And, and so it's the, interesting that there's a generational gap there as well. There is. Because is it, is it possible? You never know. That job might not even be there when she gets to 40. Exactly, exactly. And not that she's a stalker, but when she's in the area, she goes and stands outside her boss's house. <laughs> looks at it and just thinks yeah but look at my salary it's a joke Mm. and she does some calculation it's impossible for her to have that and so there is a generational story in the book but the themes of the book are all about you know the perfect life projecting the perfect life is it possible does anyone have it Mm. and and kind of the reality which we all sort of know I find that so interesting because I, I find that we, we've always had multiple identities and complex sides of us, you know, so many different things to so many different people. Um, but now we've got an online identity, which we've never had before. Well, We're still I, grappling yeah. with what, what that is. I know. I, I thought a lot about it and I kept thinking, you know, it's interesting. I mean, look at people, you know, 100 years ago, they might have a wonderful painting commissioned of them and their family looking wonderful, I'm sure, the painter would have you know, mm. increased <laughs> their sort of made their proportions perfect and ironed out any skin complaints. But I think now we're able to sort of constantly project ourselves. And there's that grey area between it's not exactly lying. It's just presenting one facet of yourself. And we're able to do that so much that it sort of starts to look like a reality and mm. we, we 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 start to believe that it could be a reality and if you, you, you see, we're lying to ourselves almost like exactly into believing we're believing it. our own height we're, we're we're sort of taking these endless streams of pictures it doesn't even exist until you've taken a picture and shared it with someone it feels like and then you do you sort of go back over your life in those terms and you edit out even in your own mind mm. your memories could shift slightly 
to yeah. be more positive, perhaps. But, you know, you need to know. For example, you need to know how hard you worked for something or you need to know that you don't always look like that. So the day that you're feeling rubbish and you look in the mirror, it's no good if you then look at your online stream and think, wait, I'm supposed to look yes. super, super glamorous all the time. That's that's unachievable. Yeah, and I've, in my book, actually, I mentioned the fact that... Um, we used to be jealous of people on the front cover of Cosmopolitan with their thighs being airbrushed. Now it's our own friends and even ourselves that we are looking at and thinking, yes, that's... Well, I loved all that. I mean, I read your book. I thought it was so clever and so kind of on it and, and fascinating for me, who was obviously, you know, older than you and did not grow up with this stuff. So I've had a sort of compare and contrast, you know, life before and life yeah, with. And, yeah. and you, But you are like fully immersed... And what I found fascinating is that so many of the things that you went through are things that I went through sort of in a different way. Mm -hmm. The impulses are there, the the insecurities are there, but you're not living it out in public online. And I think that's the big difference. And like you say, I mean, we used to, believe me, take pictures of ourselves like (laughs) torturous angles. And but there was only so much we could do. We couldn't actually change the things. I love this thing of being envious of yourself. Looking at some yeah. tweaked picture of yourself and thinking, wait, wait. I can never be that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what what about your personal relationship with social media? Do you, obviously you are on social media. I'm on people, social media. You know, people that read your books want to know what you're doing. They want mm. to follow you. And, and that's a lovely relationship to have. It's are you, amazing. Yeah. What's your r- ratio like, I guess? Well, if- it's interesting. I, th- I think, well, like everybody does, I have different facets. And it's been trial and error because, you know, this sort of thing arrived and it was this amazing tool and we all went a bit crazy with it yes um I think I've worked out what I like each thing for um I find Twitter amazing for talking to readers for instant contact for reaching out and what's interesting is that I used to get a lot of letters and I don't get so many letters anymore letters are quite rare and tweets are quite many and I think that a lot of people now tweet rather than sit down and write a letter and it's so exciting it's being so, able to read and tweet the author. Yeah. I'm on, you know, I'm on chapter three, oh my God. And it's, it's, it's interactive it's almost. It's amazing. And I have to say, I absolutely adore that facet mm. of, of instant communication all over the world. Reply, you know, rather than the sort of, I mean, honestly, a letter used to, if it came from, say, the States, it might not reach me for a mm. month. And then I write back. I mean, for heaven's sake. Yeah. And now we're just instantly making contact. So all I over love the world. All, all over the world. Um, and I do, you know, share my life to an extent. I mean, I think what I've learned is that I don't want to share everything. Mm. And so, for example, my children, I keep quite private. Mm-hmm. I've just made that decision, partly because I feel it's their lives yeah, you know, do 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 they want to be on social media? Perhaps they don't. I mean, I, I so I have sort of made that decision, and that means that de facto part of my life does not appear on social media. I think that's probably quite good for my sanity yeah. as well, and it's quite a useful demarcation mm. for me. That's been my sort of limit. But in terms of, I mean, you know, it's it's sort of addictive. Mm-hmm. It's addictive, isn't it? I mean, seeing something and instantly, I mean, my agent and I had this running joke on tour. If it, you know, if it hasn't been tweeted, it doesn't exist, which is sort yeah. of a bit sad, but it, it, it feels true now. And you see possibilities all the time where you would have just lived your life. Now you're sort of curating it, judging it, Wanting to represent it. Documenting it. Documenting it, exactly. And I I think the other thing I've learned is that I have to ration myself. 
Well, I was going to ask you, you're prolific in your books. You've written so many and you must be a quick writer. And how does it feel every time a new book comes out? Oh, it's such a buzz. It's such, I can't tell you. Um, In fact, Finding Audrey is a really good example um, because that was a sort of departure for me. Mm, and that was so, so exciting. Yeah, it was like writing a first novel again. And the other thing about it is that I did it in secret because it was so experimental and the idea just came to me. And I wasn't even sure, you know, at first, is this a young adult idea or what is this? I'm just going to write it and mm. see. And so it had that exhilaration of a sort of first-time secret project. Yeah. And the cover was so different. The cover! So that was cool. exciting. That was so exciting. And then it's been in three colours, lucky me. I mean, getting it once was good enough, but it was in green, then the paperback was yellow, and then the book club edition for Zoella's book club was pink. And so I... It's so cool. It's it's almost like quite kitsch, isn't it? It is. It's brilliant. It looks like a poster that you would want on your wall. Oh, well, I'm so glad you like it. I mean, I just love it. And Mm. so, yeah, I mean, that's complete buzz. I mean, I think that for me, there was kind of buzz points with any book. And the the biggest buzz is actually having the idea in the first place, Mm. which is my own secret little buzz. You know, like Mm. it comes, something comes to me and I think, is that, is that an idea? Is that a story? Is it, is it? And it, it takes me a while to work out if it really is. I mean, and you you don't tell anyone apart from sort of close. I don't. The only, my husband um, is like my sounding board. Mm-hmm. And so I might email him and go, you know, girl thinks this, but <laughs> da, 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 but actual fact, blah, blah, what do you think? And it's funny, some ideas you have, especially, you know, perhaps in a cocktail bar after a few margaritas, mm. you think they're brilliant at the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a week later, you're like, what was I on? So I give it time to see if it actually has legs. So that's a really exciting bit. And do you log off social media during the buzz? Or you're just strict? Do you know, I'm just quite strict. I mean, there are so many sort of alluring things on my computer Mm -hmm. screen. You know, there's there's social media, there's chatting, there's shopping, there's catching up with news. I mean, there's just so much. It's like the sweetie tin. Exciting emails, even even sale emails, I find, from brands that I love saying 50% off. I'm like, well, I have to. I have to go on. Yes, Yes, especially (laughs) they say, today only. Yeah. (gasps) Today only, quick. I mean, I'm such a sucker for all... All of that stuff or, you know, something from a friend. And I think, oh, what's up with that? You know, but it's only like ignoring people gossiping outside your window. Mm. You know, everything is... Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. It's all going on. But if you're going to write a book, you have to just think, OK, I'm going to miss out. That's the trade I'm going to yeah. make. Do you binge write then? Are you are you kind of throwing yourself in or are you, are you bits a day um it, it differ it, yeah it differs at the beginning of a book well at the beginning of a book I plan I'm a really obsessive planner so I have a notebook or I, I do it in different ways sometimes it's on the screen and sometimes I have file cards that I sort of put out like sort of chess pieces and look at them and move them around and I love planning it's sort of addictive um is there one central arc that you use or one structure to all your novels well I think each of them is different but I kind of do look for sort of big turning points and usually there's some kind of revelation and you've got to work out how to feed that in and I love a bit of a red herring and pacing a love story you know it's um it's different elements and sort of marrying them all together and I find it you know I find it very satisfying and I mean, I, I've got obviously lots of friends who are writers and everyone does it differently. And I've got some who just sit down and go, chapter one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> down she went. And and I'm the opposite of that. I want to know my story and be kind of dying to tell it. 
before I sit down. And I have this kind of superstition that I will never sit down to write the first chapter until I know what the first sentence is. I will never sit down at a blank screen and think, hmm, how shall I begin? Because yes. I think that would just be impossible. Yeah, it would that's freak so daunting. me out. So I, I actually, I walk around a lot. I go into coffee shops. I sit and I think and I scribble in a notebook and it, it, it takes me a while. And when mm. I got a real idea of where I'm going and what my first sentence is, crucial, then I'll sit down. And once I start the actual writing, I'm quite an impatient person. So you I do, get it all I down. do, I do. I mean, I write every book in, you know, I've never taken longer than a year to mm. write a book. And it usually is more like nine months, maybe six months, maybe even four months, maybe, you know, if I'm on a real roll, even shorter, because it, you know, it takes me over. Mm. And funnily enough, you know, all this thing with the sort of the social media and the distractions, mm. when I'm really in the story, which is sort of towards the end, I don't even want to to know anything else. I don't even really see my own family when they're in front of me because mm. I'm in such lost a and, yeah. cloud. I'm living in my fantasy world and everything else is sort of, you know, dimly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of vaguely aware. <laughs> You're but like, yeah, I'm, yeah. Whatever. I'm hearing voices. I mean, it sounds weird, but I'm hearing lines of dialogue and I'm seeing scenes and that's kind of where I want to be. And I want to see how it all ends and I, I want to play it all out. So I get a bit lost. I love that. I th but what a good sign that it's a book that you want to write when you yourself as the author can't wait for it to unfold. Oh, that's nice of you to say. I mean, it's funny. I often get asked, oh, well, what's your advice to anyone who writes, wants to write a book? And I mean, not that I really know what to say because everyone does it differently. But... I do often say, write the book that you would love to read, mm -hmm. because that's got to be a good starting point. You know, and I say, imagine going into a bookshop and kind of imagine you go up to the shelf and you see that book that you think, oh, I've got to read that. Because, yes. you know, there are some books you yeah. just see them and it's a no brainer. You don't even you're just like, yeah, obviously, I'm going to read this. Mm. Write that book. Yes. If you can't see it, go and be it. Yeah. Oh, I just, is that a phrase? That's, that's great. <laughs> did, I, did I just say that? Um, no, I totally agree. I, what, what helped me with mine is, I guess, with nonfiction, you sell in the idea before you've written it all. So you have to know. You have to mm. know what's going to happen. Otherwise, you're, you're a bit screwed. And it, it's, it's almost <laughs> kind of like a skeleton. It's an outline that you're like, oh, yeah, that's what was going to happen. Yeah. It just helps you along the way because, I mean, I'm sure... You had this. Well, maybe you didn't and you're the lucky one. But every writer I know goes through a time where you're just like, oh, my oh stupid yeah. book. I hate it. Why am I doing this again? You know, there's always a point in every book where I hate the characters. I hate the plot. I hate the whole thing. It's a bit like having a baby, actually. There's always that moment where you're like, why am I doing this? This was a bad idea. Never again. And then you have this lovely thing in your arms and you forget all the pain and the yeah. hard work and how you vowed that it was a once-only experience. And funnily enough, you find yourself doing it again. Yeah. Do you ever making... reread your books? Oh, that's a funny one. Um, I kind of glance back at them. I, I wouldn't sit down and read one from start to finish. I would find that quite hard. I would cringe. I mean, I sort of... You know, even as I'm writing the book, I'm thinking, oh, really, is this good enough? And I'm quite a sort of perfectionist obsessive. And I think if I go back and look at previous books, I can already see how I would do mm, it differently. But you were, so, you were so much, you know, so long ago that you were different. You well, know, different. exactly. And, and also, conversely, I sometimes go back and think, 
actually, I don't think I could write that scene now, mm. you know, because I've been doing this for a long time. Some of these books are really quite old and, and of their time, yes. actually. And you just have to think that was then, that was that book then. You know, don't torture yourself thinking, but wait, mm. I could have done that scene differently yeah. or had a different plot twist or that was then. And actually, I'm very much a person anyway who just looks forward mm. I don't know if you read it, but Madonna was interviewed in Harper's Bazaar recently and someone said to her, like, you know, why do you still make music? And her answer was... I saw this! It was, well, uh, you don't ask Picasso why he, you know, why he didn't stop painting. And it's just this idea of, well, obviously you're going to carry on doing what you love. Do you get that sometimes? Do people say, like, well, you've been successful, you've, you've done amazingly best-selling books, you know, why... Why do so many many more? I have had that on occasion, I and I, I find question. it baffling because I just do it because I love it. It's kind of in me. It's like J.K. Rowling is always asked this question. I mean, the sort of really tragic thing about it is that it presupposes that the whole reason you did it in the first place was somehow to achieve, I don't know, you know, this many books and then you would be done or this level of success and then you would be done. And that's not why you do it. You do it because you've got this idea bubbling inside you and you can't wait to get it out. I mean, nobody asked me to write Finding Audrey. I mean, Mm. my publishers didn't come and say, you know what, we think you should do a YA book. It was me just wanting to tell this story. I read Big Magic recently by Liz Gilbert. She talks a lot about ideas and how they come to you. Do you do you have any idea where they come from? Kind of, do they catch you at a random moment? Or is it when you're on holiday? Like, is there any themes in when your ideas come about? I, I find it quite random. Although I will say that walking, I have this belief, it sort of triggers your brain chemistry. Mm. Because the number of times... I'm walking and something comes to me. Or a plot tangle gets worked out. And the biggest mistake I make, and I still do it, is I'll sit staring at the screen, trying to figure something out, when what I should do is get up and go for a walk. And eventually I admit defeat, and I go out, I start walking 10 minutes down the road. Mm. And I I honestly think there's a physiognomy Mm. to it, or something. I Um, think screens and scrolling are just demotivating thing isn't it just staring at a screen I know actually I find traveling as well sitting on trains Mm. often gives me I I get ideas on trains if I don't have my laptop and I'm not Mm. online I got my idea on a plane and I had no internet and I don't want to jinx it but I think the fact that I couldn't get online the fact that I was looking out of a window the fact that I was on my way somewhere else I completely believe that actually Mm. I had the idea for my first book on a train and that's in the days when you know going online wasn't an option yeah. I really think there's something about motion and about you, you sort of you really are in your own world, aren't you? you daydream a yeah. lot more easily. And your brain your brain can move. I, I do think it's a sort of that there are pros and cons to this constant Wi Fi mm-hmm. availability. And I'm yeah. as big a sucker as the next person. But actually probably I'd, you know, do quite well if I didn't take my laptop on a train and just yeah. sat and thought, you know. But it's the comparison thing as well, which, and, and I'm I'm so happy that you discuss that in your new book because I think that can be the death of ideas as well. Of oh well, that person's better than me, or that person's doing that, and yeah, like, I mean, I I completely agree. We we didn't we didn't compare ourselves in the same way, and it's we insidious. couldn't. We didn't know what people were doing. No, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think that there is a sense in which people sort of torture themselves. We've all got mm. that that sort of desire to go and find the person that's mm-hmm. going to make us feel bad and it's a it's a it's an unhealthy desire which we should not give into 
but we all do it. So, you know, if you look at one friend and they haven't been very productive or whatever field you're in, instead of thinking, ah, oh, you go and find someone else, you search around um, and, we, and we all do it. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that the, the technology is there and doesn't help, but our own personalities don't help. And I think, yeah. you know, what, what the internet is sort of teaching us is, is how to use the internet given who we are as a human race, mm -hmm. given that we have bad habits, we have insecurities, you know. And it's also ironic, isn't it? Because we're comparing ourselves to people who are putting their best versions out, and I know I do it. So people are probably looking at me going, oh, she's doing that today. But then they don't see the fact that, you know, I spilled tea all down my t-shirt this morning and it's raining and you know just those little oh, things well, actually i started an instagram um feed my not so perfect life to oh, tie brilliant. in with the book where you post the real stuff so i've got sort of christmas decorations that i trod on i've got um these onions that i put in the oven and completely forgotten about they weren't this just is burnt. such a good idea they were charred they were so black that they're like lumps of coal and you know, it's actually quite liberating. And now, actually, I tell you what, even writing this book has made, it's given me a phrase that I now bandy about at home. And so when something goes wrong, I go, oh, it's fine, my not-so-perfect life. Mm. Because I'm now kind of, I've taken on this idea that things shouldn't be perfect. I and actually, that. it's very liberating. Yeah. And, and then if you turn it into a positive, you're actually, bizarrely enough, you're like, oh, good, I've got something to post on my site. Great. Like, you know, and life shouldn't be perfect. It can't be perfect. And, you know, where did we get this idea from that it's yeah. all got to be so great? I mean, what I find interesting on the Internet is that you have one area where everything is glossy and perfect and photos. Then you have these anonymous forums where people spill their hearts mm -hmm. behind a secret code name and they share problems in a very honest way. Yeah. And they're probably more honest than they would be in real life. You know, they'll talk about problem with their sex life or what they really think of their husband or, you know. So, but that's completely divorced from probably they're then on Facebook going, it's all great. Yes. And we've split up the two facets of our personalities into kind of outward public perfect and then mm -hmm. if we want to confess something that's really troubling us we hide we don't admit it in real life and we we're so anonymous true. and it's sort of i feel the two are pulling apart and it's kind of not it healthy must be quite jarring isn't it because there's a there's a vlogger called mother pucker she's got a hashtag called parent fail and she posted something recently saying i know my instagram looks so amazing and i know that i've got all these shiny things but i'm actually my car just got declined in tesco's and the comments that she got people were just like thank you thank you so much for just saying something that you know we've never have known and i don't know if it's fair to force people into that level of honesty but I just feel that it's a massive sigh when someone sees someone be honest. Oh it really is and also you know having the friends who can afford stuff and you're having to sort of make out like you can and I mean I, in fact I mean I sort of feel that when I first wrote the shopaholic books a lot of this stuff went into that even though it, it wasn't an online story it was all about I mean Becky the, the shopaholic mm. heroine she I know fell. her well I know her very well. <laughs> <laughs> well she fell for every single you know kind of deluded idea that you have to because the ad is there saying you know must have I mean with this mm. phrase must have for a start 
<laughs> well, it's not must, you know. <laughs> and because your friend has it, well, maybe she's really rich and you're not, and that's fine. And I, I think that, you know, when it's online and you're just seeing the images and you're buying into them and you're thinking, well, to be this perfect person, I need X, Y, Z then that's a dangerous path to go down. And the more detached you are from, you know, whether it's your friend or your celebrity that you're you're ogling, you're not even asking, well, did you borrow that maybe? Mm. Does that actually belong to you? Or yeah. is it as good as it looks? Or I've seen people take selfies or pictures in the Topshop change rooms and use that as a way to kind of take pictures of outfits bloggers that that. is actually quite funny it's quite savvy i mean (laughs) but it's just interesting like you're saying it but you see some people are naturally savvy and will achieve an effect but they'll do it quite cleverly they Mm -hmm. you know but then somebody who is perhaps a bit more insecure thinks okay the only way i can be like this is to buy all this stuff and that will turn me into this image that i'm trying so hard and i worry about young girls because you know i like to think of them whenever I'm doing something for example because I I worry that if they look at Instagram feeds of these people that they want to be I guess like the character in your book she has this role mm. model that she's obsessed with I think young girls could get obsessed with role models be it I don't know just famous people online and they don't know the truth behind these lies Never. and they could grow up thinking well I want to be that person but their life might not be what they see Oh, absolutely. I mean, exactly. So in my not-so-perfect life, Katie fixates on Demeter. But she do, does it very much in terms of sort of consumer goods. She, you know, she, she looks at her clothes. She looks at her house. She looks at all her hip accessories. And she sort of turns that into this image of, of the perfect life. I mean, she also looks at things like her work achievements. And that's fair enough. I think, it, you know, you can look at someone's career path and you can think well I'll try and follow mm. that but again like you say that job may not be there in 20 years time so don't get hung up any on any of these details and what she doesn't see is the reality of a woman with her own mm. hang-ups her own problems and this is something she learns in the book and so do we get to meet her in more of a 3d way oh we do right oh I we do that. we do and by the end of the book I think they are both changed women they both see each other with completely fresh eyes. Mm. And, I mean, what happens, sort of not giving the whole plot away, is that when Katie loses her job, she has to go back to her father's place in Somerset and she opens a glamping site. And Demeter arrives as a guest, not recognising Katie. So Katie is given a choice. Does she does she get her revenge on her boss that, that ended up firing her? Does she try to get back? with this boss that Mm. she idolises does she in the end what happens is that she gets to know her better sees behind the image and there's all kind of plot machinations Um, but you know it takes her a while to actually see beyond and 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 the boss has got her whole family with her and so that was the other thing that she sort of saw these glossy images of them and assumed that it was all perfect. Look at this handsome husband. Look at these adorable children. Perfect life, perfect life. Mm. Then she meets them. It's like, oh, okay. No They're not so perfect Behind after all. Behind the Instagram feed. Behind the Instagram feed. This is them come to life, 3D, warts and all. And it's there not. There must have been a specific reason as well that you chose them to be both women. Oh, absolutely. I mean, a, a, an interesting point in the book is that her impression of this boss, Demeter, is that she stamps on the feet of all the younger employees trying to come up. 
and that she doesn't help the younger generation. Right. Now, whether that's true or not, you'll have to read the book and find out. <laughs> but that's the impression, is that she's struggled hard to get where she is and she's not about to help the younger generation. And I, I think that women do measure themselves against other women in, mm. in, a, in a quite a particular way. I mean, I think we're just, you know, we're just programmed to do it. And if you see somebody who's doing what you want and is your own sex, you're just going to identify yeah. with them. Um, and it has it has been a struggle. And I think, you know, the, the, the vestiges of those old struggles are still there, yeah. actually. Because I've had so many different bosses who are women and a different relationship with each of them but it is a very interesting relationship because you are you you want to be like them but you equally want them to kind of help you and nurture you and and it's it's complicated it is complicated and you know a woman of a certain age is going to feel threatened Mm. by somebody who is bright and savvy I think there's quite a funny dynamic as well with with a certain generation of women who didn't grow up with the internet and I'm perhaps struggling to grasp all the technology and the, 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 the buzzwords and fit it all in. And, and then, you know, someone who doesn't have the life experience but has all this stuff at their fingertips. And I think that can create a sort of uneasy dynamic as well because the boss who, you know what, 30 years ago, the boss would have just known everything full stop. Mm. But now the boss knows a certain amount but also has to go, oh, you know, well, I mean... What, what does this mean? And I think we've all caught up with the internet now. But I think there was a time when the older generation were peering at these screens going, oh, what's all this? You know, anybody with an ounce of brain has thought, OK, this is here. It's here to stay. Let's embrace it. And I think there was perhaps a, a small time when a certain generation sort of resisted it mm. and, and, and sort of almost mocked all these new trendy words coming into the office and, you know, digital this and the d- d- whatever. Yeah. And, and they didn't like it. And I think actually we've got past that and everyone is now with the programme. Yeah. And actually, you know what? Grannies are on the Internet more than anybody else. Yeah, so, exactly. Which I love. And I think it's actually bringing the generations together. Yeah, I think so. Which I and love. I think it's a positive thing now where um, I actually got contacted recently about doing a reverse mentoring piece. And um, it's with a novelist. And I'm going to teach her how to do a podcast. And she's going to teach me how she's written this book. Oh, wow. And it's going to be kind of an interesting one because, you know, it, it's I'm going to learn so much from her. But at the same time, I think she will learn some things that I picked up just by doing it myself. Yeah. And so it's an interesting space. And I like it when people collaborate in that way. I think it's really nice. Well, exactly. I mean, everyone can learn from every everyone. We've all got, you know, a different take on life. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I do think that what you've done is just so exciting because you've taken the space and you've sort of owned it. And so many people have been nervous on it. But you're just sort of, no, this is my world. I'm swimming. Look. People might feel like it's a bit early to look back in a nostalgic way about the 90s and the internet. But I thought, well in internet years that's like <laughs> hundreds of years have passed like we can look back already oh yeah exactly and, and it, it and it is so fascinating and as i was saying before you know the fact that it's stuff that everyone goes goes through you know in their different ways but when you're doing it online everything seems magnified that's what i feel mm. you, you know about our online lives is that everything is sort of polarized made bigger more public um, yeah, I think the, the the falls 
when they calm can be really mm. quite cataclysmic. And I think there's unfortunately a trend at the moment with um, famous women, like they're risen up and they are loved and they are celebrated and then they, and then they are pulled down by Twitter or whatever mm. platform to then being, you know, they've done something wrong. And, and I just think that's a scary place to be, I think, for someone who's making mistakes publicly. I know, and we exactly. All do. And, and I think that probably when you're on the crest of that rise, you just see everybody on Twitter as this very benign, supportive, lovely crowd. And the truth is, you don't really know who mm. they are. You don't know. You're guessing. You're kind of extrapolating. And you're assuming that everyone's lovely and thinks like you and you're envisaging them all in their homes. And then the minute they turn, you realise, well, actually, I don't know who these people are. Mm. Are they really my friends? Are they? Yeah. And, it, and I think that's probably quite unnerving because you probably took them for granted. Yeah and sort of could envisage them and projected. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you and have... And that friendship to... is a whole other whole other thing, isn't it, as well? Well, of, you it know... is. I mean, that was, again, something in the book. Um, and in fact, at the end of the book, My Not-So-Perfect Life, she actually calls her friend in New York and hears her voice. And for her, it's like, actually, I needed to hear her voice. And they've been yeah. just talking online, online, and they... They need to hear each other's voice because, you know, you we're humans and we read signals that are not available mm. on a screen. If you're you, sad, you can't, you know, it doesn't matter what you're posting, you can tell if you look at someone. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I think that you have to mix it up. You, you can't just have a relationship on a screen because, you, you know, you, everyone puts on a brave face. The difference is that if you meet up with your friend for a drink and she starts off by putting on a brave face... Mm. You can probably tell at once that there's something going on and it might take a little time for her to unwind and admit the truth. And But just from her body language, from her eyes, you see that stuff. And that's kind of what being a friend is, mm. is getting underneath the veneer. Yeah. Now, if all you've got to go on is veneer, it's harder. So I think it's... I mean, don't get me wrong, I love online communication, but I, I also love it when you get a chance to meet for real. Oh, and I yeah. think that counts for an awful lot. It definitely does. I wanted to ask you lastly um, what you're excited about for this year because it's January, it's 2017. Obviously, you've got this book coming out. Um, what are you excited about? Oh, do you know, I'm, well, for a start, I'm just excited about the new year because I think that last year was weird mm. and I think I and all my friends have felt the same way. Like, enough Can't of wait that year. To get out. This is yeah. a whole new year. I'm really excited about this book coming out, actually. I'm off to the States on tour, which I haven't done Amazing. for a while. So that's really I've exciting. I've seen the green cover. It looks so it's cool. So I love lovely, both the covers. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm going to get out there and actually meet <laughs> meet some readers in the flesh again. And I think that's lovely. And then the, the, it will come out in paperback in the summer and we're planning a sort of reader event and stuff like that. So Amazing. I think it's going to be yeah. an exciting year. It's been exciting for me to write write a non-Becky book because mm -hmm. I'd written a couple of shopaholic books on the trot and I love Becky Bloomwood but for me this is my year of wow a new standalone book yes it's sort of different ideas and and I, I have to say that the topic has meant that I've just my conversations with you know people like you and it's just been so fascinating it I just opens loved up it. so much it to talk does about. it does yeah. so I've loved it oh well I'm well, so, so thank you thank you so excited to read it and um I already know it's right up my street. Thank you again, and um, I will put all of the links to buy the book and check out everything. You are so kind. Honestly, we could have talked for dumb I know, but it's gone by in five minutes. Well, thank so you. So we need to continue <laughs> yes, this in part two one day. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thanks. 
thank you so much for tuning in every week to my podcast I really appreciate it um, if you have any feedback tweet me at Emma Gannon I'd love to hear what you think and also if you have two minutes I'd love you to leave a rating or a review on iTunes it would that would be amazing thanks again and see you next week